0: The next chapter with Prim Seripipat is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everybody, it's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is Greg Odin. I'm so excited to finally be sharing this interview, which we've been sitting on for three years. Now, I'm sure many of you know who he is, but in case you need a little refresher... Greg was a McDonald's All-American and two-time Gatorade National Player of the Year in high school. He went on to play at Ohio State and in his one year with the Buckeyes, they almost won an NCAA title but fell short to the Florida Gators that year. He decided to bounce after a year because he knew there was a huge opportunity waiting for him at the next level. Greg was selected with the number one overall pick in the 2007 NBA draft by the Portland Trailblazers. He was the first and remains the only basketball player in Ohio State history to go number one overall. Now when you look at the earlier parts of Greg's career, there were certainly a lot of accomplishments and a lot of accolades. And considering he was six foot five by the time he was in sixth grade, (laughs) I suppose it's no surprise that he flourished in basketball. But what came after draft night in 2007 was definitely a different trajectory. It was filled with some highs, but definitely a lot of lows, um, including a lot of injuries, a lot of disappointment, and a lot of off-court issues as well, including substance abuse, which we'll uncover in this interview. It's almost as if you could split his athletic career into two parts, before and after the NBA draft. And that's how we split up this interview, especially because it went for over two hours. So in this first episode, we talk about what Greg has been up to recently and how his journey to discovering who he is as a person and also outside of basketball is still this ongoing process. We also explore the dynamics of his childhood and how he got into basketball. I think what's most important to pay attention to are the different forces that pushed him or even nudged him towards basketball, including his parents' divorce, which prompted him, his brother, and also his mom to move from New York to Indiana, AKA Larry Birdland and basketball country. Sport really gave him a sense of community, especially as he was navigating this significant transition in his life. And you also hear him talk about how uncomfortable he was in his own skin because he was so tall. It's like, basketball gave him a reason to be tall. Now, just for context, Greg and I had actually met a few months prior while we were both speaking on a sports panel at Ohio State about, ironically, retirement and transitioning from sport. And after hearing more about everything he's been through, things that he hasn't talked about publicly, I thought, I have to have him on the show. So without further ado,
1: Here's Greg Odin, part one. Hi, Greg. Greg. <laughs> How, How
2: are you? I am great. Thank you for having me
1: expecting a warmer welcome but it snowed last night what is up it, this is at the time of this taping is in the middle of november early november actually mm-hmm. and it snowed and it kind of wreaked a little havoc everywhere
2: yes because i was wearing shorts earlier in the day yesterday so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little little colder today
1: uh but you and i were texting back and forth and i was like hey you know I want to make it as comfortable and fun as possible for you. And so you. I was like, hey, how about some donuts? Yes. So I went across the street, got some Buckeye donuts. Apparently that's like the big thing here at Ohio State.
2: Well, first off, first class service. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you didn't have to. and uh, I wanted to. I, this is probably my second time actually having Buckeye donuts, and I've still never been in there. Are you
1: serious? It's literally right across the street.
2: Yeah, but there's literally no park. That's true. Yeah.
1: yeah. But but we also mentioned that um, you like – you're a Krispy Kreme guy.
2: I am. Uh, just original glaze and <laughs> raspberry-filled glaze. I am good.
1: You're a simple guy. Yeah, because I I didn't know your taste, so I, I'm kind of a – I like colorful stuff. So I got like the – Chocolate one with sprinkles. I got this crazy huge one. It was like the maple bacon. There's two yes. slices of bacon on there.
2: How are you going to eat that?
1: Um, you know what? I may give it to Josh. We're going to meet up with oh, Josh sorry, Perry, yeah. uh, another Ohio State <laughs> alum. He's a football guy. Like, yeah. He looks like a dude that might like crush that maple Vegan donut yeah
2: but you know when those guys stop playing they get skinny you know so he <laughs> not might not want all of them not calories. all of them yeah you're right but <laughs> with football I, i've noticed that a lot of football players especially like the old linemen they don't need all those calories yes and the defensive backs they're not lifting like that so they get True. a little bit skinnier but they basketball do. players we run so much that when <laughs> we stop playing it's just like the weight's coming.
1: I feel like there's no excuse because you guys are so tall. Like me sitting at 5'2", mm-hmm. if I have a little bit, anything that's off my my typical diet, it, mm-hmm. it kind of shows. But you, you know, you being really like tall and stretched out, I feel like you can stretch out. Any weight that comes on, you, you can stretch it out,
2: but that doesn't mean the weight's not there. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I look lean, but I'm close to three hundred. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: uh, but it's funny when you when you went for the donuts and you went for the simple glaze. You were not attracted to any of the colorful, you know, kind of like big time donuts. Is that is that an indication of your personality at all?
2: Um, I would like to say so but it's more of an so. indication of just my taste buds You're <laughs> I'm not a big chocolate guy mm. um, sprinkles all that extra stuff no I just like the sweet sugary straight to the point I mm. need the extra stuff so I guess um, that is kind of a little take on my personality
1: yeah I mean if you think about other aspects of of your life, whether it's like fashion or clothing or how you live your life.
2: I'm too big to be out there, crazy colors, but I do like the fact that the pants nowadays are a little short because no pants fit me at all. So you know, the high water (laughs) pants that's in style, I'm like, yeah, I can do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You like the high water situation? I do actually. (laughs) Really? That's funny. Um, well, it's so great to connect with you again, Sorry, and uh, I got a chance, we got a chance to to meet one another and work with one another earlier this year at an OSU, your alma mater, they were having a, a what they call a sports and society panel, and it talked about what happens to athletes when sport is no longer a part of their life, and it was like this all-day affair. We had multiple panels, and ours was the last one. It was you, myself... Uh, Joshua Perry, uh, former Ohio State football player, also played in the NFL. Monica, I believe yes. her name last name was Vasquez. Yes. She was a synchronized swimmer. That was really cool to hear her experience. And then Dr. Steve Grafe. Yes. Who also, he, he played football, but um, is a sports psychologist now. And I was the only non guy. I didn't realize I that know, until I got there. Weird. That was
2: awkward. But, he thought that was weird. <laughs> but you are a blue devil. Wait right? Yeah. Yeah, You are a blue devil. And one thing I have learned through my travels is Duke alums get in any door.
1: Ah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes, they do. Why do you say that?
2: You guys are everywhere. (laughs) I've played with Josh Rick Roberts and um, Shavlik Randolph. Yeah. And between those two, I can possibly meet anybody I want to invite.
1: That is comical. I do remember. Oh, and
2: Shane Battier. So yes. I mean,
1: well, Shane. I mean, just Shane's Shane. Yeah, yeah. that guy does not mess around. He's got. He's, he's just not, a stand-up guy. He
2: really is.
1: Yeah, um, but that that panel was so important. I had never seen a university or any athletic department um, hold something like that, oh. and it was essential. I, I haven't at least not not yet. I'm sure there's somebody mm-hmm. doing that, but it was really cool to see um, a school that's so big, especially in that athletic space, mm-hmm. but doing taking the extra effort to prepare their student athletes for for life afterwards.
2: I mean, it was a really good panel, you know, and I think it was something that could benefit by the athletes actually. Yeah being there to see something like that. I mean, um, it was a couple of students who were athletes in there, but I think, you know, just the majority of athletes, if they had a chance to look at something like that, especially in college, because, Mm -hmm. you know, at that time, you're looking at you're going to be playing your sport for the rest of your life, and you don't think about, you know, something happened tomorrow um, or while I'm in school that, you know, you have to prepare for that next chapter of life.
1: Mm -hmm. How... Um, had you done anything like that before?
2: Uh, before that? no, yeah. not um, talking about it or that was my first time just being open, honest, and candid yeah. about just the struggles that I've been through with my transition away from playing basketball.
1: Really, So that was your your really first moment taking the time to open up about, Everything, your basketball journey,
2: your life journey. Like, I've done interviews and spoke about some of my struggles, but that uh, being on the panel and talking in front of people and and actually, you know, word for word, going about the struggles and the connection of me transitioning to where my mind was at that time, uh, that was the first time I got a chance to do that in front of people live.
1: You're amazing. I mean, you, you talked very candidly about everything that you you. you have been through. Um, and, and you're right. I've seen bits and pieces where people have done multiple stories on you. A lot mm-hmm. of it's on your basketball journey, and some of it might be related to your personal stuff. But I don't think I've seen a video interview or anything, at least not yet, yeah. of you um, talking about this stuff. Do you, do you get media requests uh um, frequently, often, or how how often do people reach out?
2: Uh, I'm getting a lot more emails nowadays really? about um, a couple of podcasts and just trying to be smart about which ones I'm doing and uh, you know, just not trying to do everything in my jumps, because I want some time to myself, sure. time with the family, you know, yeah. but I am happy and I jumped at this chance to do your podcast. So.
1: Thank you, Greg. Why, I guess uh, there's been a few athletes that I've <laughs> that I've gotten a chance to, to sit down with. I mean, there, there's there been about 20 of them so far. And certain athletes I know are more private and more introverted. And I I am honored and flattered that anybody would want to take the time to open up because it's just not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing for, for me either, but I, I'm at a point in my life where I am – I realize who I am and I've healed from my pains and I can talk about them now. But, you know, for the, those players that I know that are more private and they're, they have the courage to come down, come down here and sit with me, I do ask a question, like, why? You know, like, what, what allowed you to come here today to, you know, talk about whatever we're going to talk about today?
2: Um, well, first it was you because we did have a conversation um, back when we did the panel. And, um, you know, I I told you that I would because we had a similar experience um, with uh, us leaving our sport. Um, But also, I've lived it. Like, I I guess I was kind of looked at as more of a private guy as well when I was playing. But that's because, you know, you wanted to ask me just about basketball. I was never really asked about my personal life or how I felt about certain situations. And when you think about that, when you're playing the sport, You know, a lot of people don't really look into you at that time. They're always worried about what you're doing in your sport right now. They don't really worry about the person you are or kind of how you feel in certain situations in life. And right now, like I lived it. A lot of this stuff, you know, it happened in the past. It's not like it's going to change. There's nothing I can say that's going to make my experience any different. So I just kind of own it and own the path that I've taken to get right here now. So, That's why I'm so open and candid about, you know, the experiences I went through. Um, If I can help somebody make a better decision or if I just inspire somebody to be better in one part of their lives, um, I would definitely tell my story and my struggles that I've been through.
1: That's awesome that you own it. And not everybody, depending on When you ask somebody, not everybody, including myself, is able to own their story. Um, It takes a lot of reflection. It takes a lot of healing Mm -hmm. as well. And it sounds like you're, I mean, it would make sense in, in the best place that you've ever been. In your life, would that be a fair question? Or I mean, I'm statement? good,
2: I'm happy. You know, <laughs> I'm graduated, I uh, got a beautiful Congratulations. wife. Congratulations! Yeah, Thank you. you just
1: graduated this year, yes, right?
2: Yes, in May. Um, I would love to say it was a unique thing. I guess it was for me, but yeah. then uh, it was the biggest graduating class in the history of Ohio State. So, um, no way. Yeah, I was part of that. I mean, the most you, people you were to that graduate, one, it was like, yeah. how big
1: was your class?
2: Uh, I wanna Do you s- remember? I want to say it was nineteen thousand. That's the number. So it was like nineteen nineteen
1: thousand and one because of you.
2: Yeah, we're going to say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was it was a great experience. Like I talk about when I finally went down the tunnel. You know, it was like like right when we got to the end, I started doing my little shake. And I, <laughs> I sprinted like three steps, and it was like, I felt like I was on the football team. You know, but That's it, so it was cool. good.
1: That's awesome. Uh, what a cool experience. Congratulations. And you majored in something in sports, right? Sports uh, sport
2: industry? Sport industry, yes. Very cool. You know, bachelor of Education in Sport Industry.
1: That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, like, so, you know, in, in the process of doing these interviews, we're going to launch the show in a couple of months, but I think that the one message I want to send, especially with your story in mind, is I know I might get the question of, like, what made your interviews different and i think the one thing that i would say to them is reporters and journalists and this is not to say anything this is not like an indictment or anything good or bad about what anybody is doing because everybody has their beat as you know they'll come in with a certain angle and as people in sports you are often you have to talk about what's going on in the game or Mm -hmm. someone's performance but i think the one thing that i would say to them is like in order to get different answers you have to talk there's a, there's a person behind the frame, the shield, mm-hmm. the image of the athlete. And that's important to me. And maybe, maybe my perspective is a little different because I've been through it, you know? Um, and I, I'm excited to hear, to learn more about your story because I think we have, you know, I mentioned to you before the interview that I've got like all these notes, yeah. but it, it's only because your basketball career is so intricate and and very complex. There's a lot of huge events going on, and it's hard to to kind of grasp everything that that went down. And for me, I become obsessed with timelines, so mm-hmm. that way I'm able to like it's like everyone's life is like a puzzle, yeah. right? But I'm gonna present those timelines, but it's your platform to kind of like fill in the gaps and color. Color this color book, you know?
2: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's your story. You know, what I mean, and I want to want to make sure I I ask different questions and questions that people have never asked before and I think that that will give people a, a Better understanding of, of who you are hmm. as a basketball player and, and also a person, you know,
2: well, I appreciate the <laughs> opportunity um, And I hope it does um, I'm Wherever you want to start from, I guess. So, I mean, I mean really I'll excited. ask you
1: a, like a, you know, like who is, have you asked yourself the question, who is Greg Odin?
2: I've actually recently been working on that. Yeah. Um, it's crazy because when I was in school, I kind of, I felt like I halted a lot of my life, and that was a lot of my transition period. Because, you know, for all I knew was playing basketball, playing basketball. And then when I finally retired um, after Miami and after I played a year in China, um, I was really lost and kind of had no idea where I wanted to go. And um, I say this again, thank Coach Thad Mata. You know, he he picked up that phone and he gave me a call and me and him talked for a while. And that was a conversation I really needed to have because I had no direction at that time. Um, it was a lot of alcohol abuse. Um, it was a lot at the time, smoking a lot of weed. And I just didn't really know what I was going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coach Mata, I started coming to practices. And then I finally enrolled in summer school, and then I was a student manager with the team while taking full time. And I did that three years. Um, and while I was doing that, I was kind of like, you know, just get school done, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did, you know, uh, have a daughter and got married, but.
1: That's a lot going on. That's not easy is, to go to school with a family and daughter and.
2: Uh, my wife was a, a saint for putting up, and I'm like grown man like yeah i I got class and she's like wait we got this stuff to do we got this baby to take care of she's like i got work and i'm like yeah i got class uh so uh, you know that was uh, i'm thankful to her for the strength that she had you know to be there with me um But I'm a different type of dude. I'm going to schedule, like, tell me what I need to do first, A, mm. B, C. Give me that list, and I can go down the list and do it. But I'm always a guy, like, you got to do A before you move to B. You know, so for me, it was like, get this school and then get this degree. And then, you know, figure out what you're going to do um, outside of that. So, Now I kind of feel like I'm opening up my eyes to all these different opportunities to, you know, do some motivational speaking, to help out in the community, to, you know, be a mentor to some kids and also be a better husband and father, you know, and provide for my family as well, be more educated and stuff that, you know, my finances, you know, just uh, things uh, around my life and, and my affairs, you know, that when you're playing, and you're getting checks. You don't even think about it. You're like, I got a guy to handle that. But now I'm grown. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I need to know, understand what my finances are doing. You know, I got people that I trust, but I, I feel like I need to be a little bit more involved in some of these things. And, yeah. you know, there's possibly some things that I could have missed out on because I was just focused on school. Mm. You know, instead of being knowledgeable to be like, hold on, uh, this is happening this year. You know, I, I still got a lot more checks coming in right now. Maybe I should take advantage of that. Mm. And these are a lot of things that when we're in that moment, when we're getting checks, we don't think about or take advantage of in the time. So.
1: The, you know, a lot of athletes, uh, when, when sport is no longer a part of their life, the one common thing, theme that that does come up to the surface is that we lose that sense of structure because mm-hmm. our days are so crammed from 5 a.m. all the way to 11 p.m. you know especially you know you were only a, a, in college you know for a year but even when you go to the professional level I mean it's just like you get up at 5 a.m. you have breakfast you have to be you have to warm up at 7 a.m. you have to be on the court by 8 and go from 8 to 10 and then you have film and lunch and then meetings and all that stuff so when that wasn't a part of your life. Did you miss it, and is do you think that contributed to some of your struggles and and finding uh, some sort of system to go off of?
2: Yeah, um, I definitely want to say that because you just uh, you're so used to having that schedule that when you don't have you know something to do, you're just kind of lost, you know. Um, and I mean. I don't know if anybody's ever smoked weed, but that's a perfect way to get lost in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh, you know, I just
1: kind of get paranoid from that. That I don't really like get lost and relax. I get paranoid from that stuff.
2: Uh, see, I, I was TV. I got lost in hours and <laughs> movies, and I mean that's how I just kind of dealt with the free time, you know. And then the evening would come and I'd be like, okay, it's party time, mm. and a lot of that as well is. You're doing all this stuff and you're spending this type of money but that money is not coming in that it was um, that's another stress that's happening um, when I look at it, it it was a way to numb a lot of that free time um, and I mean like you said it's when you don't have that schedule that you know the the wondering mind is, is gonna mm-hmm. find something to pick up that slack
1: yes Definitely. The mind is is like a little puppy dog. It likes to chew on issues mm-hmm. and problems and thoughts. And when you don't give it something to work on, it will find something yes. to chew on.
2: <laughs> and the easier things are the things that are probably not the best for you. Yeah. Um, and a healthy standpoint. Um, but it's easier to just go out and drink and to go out smoking, mm-hmm. to not do anything to help your life. It's tough to get up when you don't know what's going on, to read a book, to better yourself, to find things, to, you know, put together your time, to donate time or money to causes that mean something to you. It's hard to take the time to figure out what means something to you in your life yeah. because a lot of us just go through life and it's always our sport. Um, but when do you actually look back and be like, hey, I, I actually like this. You know, I want to donate or or put. I want to put some time into some things that I actually like away from the sport, and that's a big thing for me that I had to realize. Like when I when I graduated, I was like, okay, I can get a job, but I want to get something that you know I enjoy doing. And then you look back and you're like, well, well, what the heck do I enjoy doing? You know, it's kind of tough to actually find that. You know, from an early age, if you don't have that thing away from your sport that you love doing or you just enjoy doing it's tough to find that when the sport's taken away
1: and i think the one thing that's like really critical about your story and i and i want to highlight it so people understand just this concept of what they call in psychology the athlete identity as basically happens when a person really identifies and internalizes sport as as who they are and also what they do and i think because of your background um i think basketball became like everything in, in your entire world and i it i think it might be i'll i'll let you obviously delve into it but it, i think it, some of it was intentional but some of it was accidental and i guess we'll i'll I'll explain it a little bit but so you were born in buffalo right buffalo new york yes. and what was your childhood like
2: um me my brother mom and dad um bunch of cousins i uh, spent a lot of time at my aunties and my grandmother's house with and all my was? cousins yeah um my cousin christopher um was kind of like a brother to me it was like once we were out of school and you know he was out of school we were at his house we was following him me and my younger brother you know he he was he was our everything you know he was mm-hmm. our big cousin everything he did we had to do um It 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 sounds like
1: you came from a pretty big family.
2: uh, Yeah, I mean, my mom had three sisters Mm. and two brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, You know, two of them didn't have any kids, but they were the younger ones. Wow. Um, But the other ones all had multiple kids, so I had a lot of cousins. Um, And, you know, we're a close family, so.
1: And then, and then you ended up moving to Indiana, Indiana. at nine,
2: uh, right? I want to say third grade.
1: Third grade. So yeah, that's around like eight, nine, yeah. I believe. <clears throat> and and why did you guys end up moving?
2: Um, my mom and dad actually got divorced, um, so my mom got me and my brother, and we went to Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah, it was uh, eye opening. We went from yeah. the inner city of Buffalo, New York, to. Terre Haute, Indiana, where I swear I didn't even see sidewalks in the suburbs, you know. Really? Oh, man. Like, coming from Indiana, from New York, it was really weird because, like, you get in the suburbs of a city, like, even here in Columbus, like... In Dublin, like, I'll be going places. I'll be driving. I'll be like, do they not even have sidewalks here? Like, yeah, where people true. That is really true. Yeah. There's a lot
1: of highways. Yes. Yeah. It's not a walkable yes. area.
2: So that was, like, one thing that I was like, okay, that was a little weird. But, I mean, basketball country, Larry Bird right. land, you know. Terre Haute was, I mean, we had our auntie and my uh, my couple of my uncle's dad so it was my grandfather but him and my grandmother weren't married anymore
1: and um, they were here but, in, no, they they were in, were in Indiana. Indiana so
2: that's okay. who we moved in with okay. um, and uh, that's around the time I really started playing basketball serious um, but that was because my mom was working two jobs you know to provide for me and my brother so I spent a lot of time at the boys and girls club and not really thinking about it. It was just going and playing basketball every day. I didn't think I was good, but it was something to do to pass the time. And uh, after a while, I, I got pretty decent at it.
1: It also helped that you're really, you eventually became very tall. But mm-hmm. like, you know, for even just for that experience, like watching your parents go through a divorce, I mean, there's a lot of people that can understand that. I mean, 50% of marriages end up in a a divorce, so the percentages aren't good. So that must have been really tough and you were old enough at what, eight, nine years old to understand what was going on. It's not like you were two years old. And then to have to move to a brand new place, and even though it's just like a minor detail, that the fact that there aren't any sidewalks, like it's it's just a different environment, right? So yeah. maybe it took away the community aspect where you're so, you in New York, were so used to going over to your cousin's house and stopping mm-hmm. through or whatever. And then you go to a different environment and all of a sudden you're just like, maybe there's not as big of a community or you're not as connected. and.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, you're just not as connected to that community at yeah. first. Um, but then with the divorce, you know, it, it kind of, being in a way, kind of set the boundaries, I guess. Because, you know, before we moved, it was like, you no know, arguments. You know, you kind of noticed mm-hmm. things We're like, all right, this is a little different. But now, you know, mom's here, dad's here. We, we know that there's a hard line. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of understood in that way. Um, but at that time, I did, uh, I started playing on the AU team.
1: Um, in and for, Sarah
2: Holt um, I want to say yeah fourth grade fifth grade wow that's so young um, yeah,
1: yeah do you think that looking back at things so and I and I moved from I was born in Missouri so you know I grew up in the Midwest and it's so different and I moved to Tampa Florida to attend the tennis academy mm-hmm. so that's like it was such a huge shock for me like moving cities at a young age like is earth shattering like yes. that that impacts you forever because um i went from being the kid in town everybody knew tennis player really good tennis player and all of a sudden i went to a public school and i was like the new kid getting picked on and i went from a predominantly white Very, like, safe neighborhood in Missouri, Mexico, Missouri. Shout out, Mexico, Missouri, Ty Lou. (laughs) 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 You know, I got to give my my show me state a shout out. And then, but then I went to public school and it was, like, super diverse Mm -hmm. and way more rough and tough. But the reason why I highlight that is because, you know, just talking about your experience of, you know, you have things going on with your family and then you're, like, the new kid on the block. And I, for me, like, was trying to find something to hold on to because all this unfamiliarity is, like, mm-hmm. popping up in your life. And so for me, pouring myself into sport, that became my family. That became my stability and something to hold on. It was, it was like my, my teddy bear. I don't know what else to call it. It was like my, my first love, my relationship. And hearing about your experience, I wonder if how did basketball – because of everything that was going on around that time, did that kind of become your family, your best friend in a way? I mean.
2: At the time, I don't think I really thought about it that way. Um, I just looked at it as it was something to do. Hmm. Um, I just looked at basketball like, you know, you got all this free time, you don't really know a lot of people. I mean, this is just a sport to have fun, um, get out a lot of energy, um, But I I never really thought about it. But now looking back at it, I I kind of engulfed myself in basketball around that time. Like, I played in Buffalo just for fun. And then when I got to Indiana, which is the basketball state, um, that was all I wanted to do. Um, And that was was cartoon school basketball, you know. Um, So, yeah. I mean, I guess... With that move, it kind of was like, all right, all these thoughts, I guess, that a young child has, it was, for me, it was basketball. So I was just there. You know, I didn't have time to think about, you know, my parents or, you know, being in a new city, you know, it was just like, I know this is familiar. Yeah. I can do this as much as I want to, and, and it's not going to be changing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, of course, you know, and, and, I highlight that because, especially as kids, we kids will develop amazing behaviors or coping mechanisms to deal with <laughs> with life because life can get tough, right? And um, and we won't really know why we do things until we're an adult. Yeah. You know, and and I ask a lot of athlete questions, a lot of athletes these questions. Because then it starts to peel back the layers of like, right. So this is why football or tennis or basketball became so important in my life because, you know, it may or may not have related to the family um, and the divorce and the move, but it might play into the formula of it. You know, I don't know.
2: It definitely did for me because the AAU team I started playing for, like guys on that team, um, are still family to me mm-hmm. to this day. I mean, my best friend uh, I met on that team. Um, and I mean, he passed away while we were in college, but um, he was my best friend. I mean, I could still say to this day, he was the only person that I would talk to every day.
1: Hmm. Um, Who was that? Uh,
2: his name is Travis Smith. I wear his little forever yes. in our hearts. Oh. Travis J. Smith. That's, That's cool. uh, my best friend. Um, and his parents, his dad was a basketball coach. Uh, his mom is, like, my mom still to this Like, they're – and his younger sister, like, they're my family still to this day. Um, and a couple of guys, you know, I'm really close with on that team that I still talk to. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they – they became my family, you know, away from home. You know, it was my mom and my brother. But I look forward to going to basketball practice. I look forward to going on AAU trips with them because they—they became my brothers and my family as well.
1: Well, I mean, I think it makes sense then why, at least at the very early stages, um, basketball became so important to you, is because that meant family, especially if. You'd move and also your mom. So your mom was working a couple jobs trying to support. That that must have been really hard for her, especially becoming a single mother. Now yeah. that I am a mother, I'm like, I have no idea how single mothers do it. I just, yeah. I it don't, it's so hard. It, it takes a village to raise a kid. Mm-hmm. So props to her and all the yes. shout out to all the single mothers out there.
2: Uh, definitely shout out to all the single moms.
1: Yeah. So, and then, um, so when did you start basketball? Do what what are your first memories?
2: Um so I remember playing uh, in a little summer league in third grade um in Indiana in Buffalo oh, in and Buffalo, then okay. at the end of that summer we moved to Indiana. Okay. Um and then I started playing on the AAU team um playing at the Boys and Girls Club and played with the AAU team and that's when it started fourth grade and it I don't think it's ever stopped my love for the game. I mean, I played in the Big Three League, the okay. Ice Cube Big Three League, this summer. And So, I mean, when I can play, I go out there and play.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it sounds like you were very good, very early. Because if you no. went, no,
2: no, I oh. was not. Oh. oh, I started playing in first grade. I, I hit my first basket for the wrong team.
0: <laughs> I, that. That awesome. happened. Uh,
2: I, <laughs> I mean i got the ball and i just shot it and they were like there's a reason you got the ball they're pressing and you're open i was like oh my bad yeah, I never pass me the ball anyways um and i don't think i i was actually good to like eighth grade really maybe ninth
1: but you were very tall. I was big. So, I was big, Right,
2: yes. so in fifth grade you were, were 5'10", Uh apparently? Fifth grade was about 5'10", and then at the end of sixth grade I was 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then seventh grade, 6'7", seven, eighth grade, 6'8", eight, ninth grade, 6'10", then 6'11", and sophomore year I was basically this height.
1: What was it like going through such a major growth spurt and being so tall at such a young age? And I think what's unique about, I was really thinking about this and having conversations with a lot of my friends in basketball, outside of it. And the one thing that I've learned about NBA players particularly is that you guys are so tall that you literally physically stand out in the crowd and while people that can't relate to that or fans may not, they may look at that as really cool and glamorous because you get to be bigger than everybody else. But it's also hard because you can't hide either. Yes.
2: That's uh, one of the things that I've struggled with is just trying to be a guy that did not want all the attention. But when you're seven feet tall, you walk into a room or anywhere Everybody can see you. So I used to tell people, you know, how how would you feel if everybody can see you, spot you out, and then you're in a room where you know nobody? And, you know, that's kind of tough because I walk in a room and everybody, crackling, crackling this. but I don't know that person. I've never met that person before in my life and everybody can see me. So a lot of times, I don't know, I kind of hunch over, kind of put my shoulders down. Was always my way of kind of hide and get into a corner and just kind of <laughs> stay out the way. But you know, I've kind of took to a point where now, where I'm like, you gotta own this. I mean, it's not gonna change. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless something horrific happens to your legs or your back, you know, you're not gonna get shorter. Um, <laughs> so you just, you know, just try to be as comfortable in your own skin as possible because it's not gonna change. And that's the one thing I want to get by to a lot of people is, you know. I'm walking in my shoes, you know, so there's no reason to be embarrassed about everything I've been through, you know, or who I am, you know, I'm this big, but, you know, when you're seven feet tall, airplanes need to start giving you just automatic first class bulkhead (laughs) seats, because that is terrible, like, I remember sometimes going in, and they'll look at me and be like, yeah, you got this regular seat, and I'm like, look up like i can't fit i physically can't fit you know from my hip to the bottom of my knee like that space in between the seats is not that long
1: that is so true for somebody who is very vertically challenged at five (laughs) two i can can fit into any space so that i don't and i even though most people would know me as very outgoing and warm and loud sometimes and but i i I am an introvert at times. I Mm -hmm. really do. So like after this interview and being, if we go out to lunch and like see people like around 5 PM, I will hit a wall and I have to be by myself. Yes. And I, I, I want to point that out because I think we live in a society that rewards people for being loud and opinion, especially today, today's Mm -hmm. political climate, like loud and opinionated and strong and all that stuff. But I've, I don't think strength has to be loud. I think strength can be quiet, but I think that if I were really tall and in your shoes i I think I would have it would have been tough for me because I like to hide sometimes yeah. and but you know, going back to your middle school period, looking back, how did you adjust to your physical changes what physically or mentally
2: um well, mentally, I just kind of stay with basketball, you know, stay with my sport. I, that kind of molded me to be the person that I was, you know, just, you know, not really knowing how to handle being the biggest guy at a young age. You know, I'm the biggest guy in the school. Yeah. And I'm um, sixth grade, you know. Um, did
1: people, did kids say anything?
2: Some. Um, younger girls were pretty mean to me. The girls were. Oh yeah. No, I, I, feel I, like
1: I, I thought I thought that that would be an asset, being a tall, strong, strapping young lad in middle school, because like the last is thing guys don't.
2: people thinking about at sixth grade? You know. They're... I mean,
1: my sixth grade in Tampa, Florida. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Everybody's making fun of you in sixth grade. Yeah, that homes. is true. I mean, and
1: I I found that out when I yeah. moved over to Florida. Everybody makes fun of everybody.
2: Yes. Kids can be really mean. Yes. So when you're that that guy who doesn't know how to raff back or joke because I, I was never the guy to talk about anybody you know I just always had fun you know whatever somebody else had going on or something bad that happened to them I, I wasn't gonna put it on blast or anything like that I just tried to you know maybe they need some help you know I was always that nice kid um, but I don't know sixth grade was was rough for me and yeah. I, you know so I tried to even hide even more you know because I say this when well my grandfather told me this when you're big one thing you can't do is look all bad with your clothes all and you can't smell you're already big so you can't smell and dress super terribly. You, your
1: grandfather is he tall too or yeah, he is about
2: six five. Oh and wow. So, yeah, he
1: So he understands.
2: He understood and I tried to tell people that all the time. Look, man, you are already big. You can't be funky and dressed and out here dressing all terrible. I understand <laughs> it's tough on us on
1: a big man wisdom right there.
2: It really is. I mean, <laughs> the clothes part is it, it's kind of hard cuz it's kind of hard to find clothes that just fit us. Um but you can make sure you don't yeah, smell. Sorry. Yes. <laughs>
1: Because <laughs> now you're just like a stinky big man. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, that yes. must have been. I think that's um, interesting to hear your side of it because those are like the little details that are, at least in my eyes, are important because it it offer it offers people a different perspective on your journey because I think most mm-hmm. people see you as this big, strong, athletic basketball player, the Bill Russell, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But before all that began, you were just a kid who wanted to be loved like everybody else and just wanted to have fun and wanted to have fun in basketball. Mm-hmm. But your physical stature, you know, I was having this conversation yesterday, but like over time, as I've been able to talk to athletes, I kind of I start to place them in different groups. So I understand their processes and initially, like in terms of how an athlete begins sport, I always ask the question to the athlete, did you look for this sport? Did you gravitate towards it or did it find you? Hmm. If that makes sense, because so I, and I've brought this up in other interviews, the reason Why that became important to me and I related to that was I was reading Andre Agassi's book, Open, and he talks about how he kind of fell into tennis. He Mm -hmm. didn't – he grew to love it, Mm -hmm. but tennis found him, and that was my journey. I – tennis, I didn't necessarily seek tennis. It found me because I just happened to be like pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And once I started, I grew to love it, but I also grew to love the things that it offered me, Mm -hmm. which over time – it can kind of backfire. So they have like the mm-hmm. difference between intrinsic value and ex- extrinsic value. Mm-hmm. You've heard of those, yes. right? So intrinsic value is, are things that are innate and you, you truly love the sport. You have fun with it, whatever the extrinsic stuff is where things start to like really backfire. It's for the athletes, world, right? or
2: It's the places you every, can go.
1: Exactly. And so like every athlete, especially as you get to the elite level, every athlete falls into that. Like who wouldn't w- love the attention and recognition and the, we, you and I were talking about the free gear. Like who yes. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> like who wouldn't love all that attention and the money and the fame and the, you know, recognition and all that stuff. Um, so I guess within that context, can you, can you figure out if you gravitated towards basketball or in some ways it found you?
2: Um, and looking at that, yes. Um,
1: because
2: it was just something that I did like basketball was, we were at the boys and girls club anyways, and basketball is just one of those sports where you just get a basket and the ball and you can do it by yourself. You don't need everybody there. So, you know, just shooting balls, just being tall, just wasting time. And then, uh, somebody, my best friend's dad saw me and was like, he's pretty tall. Let's try to get him on our, our kids' AAU team, you know? Um, I wasn't good, but I always went to practice. I enjoyed going to practice to be around these new friends that I have, you know. I was never thinking, oh, you love this game of basketball, so you're doing it for this. It was like, no, I got friends. Now I went on AAU trips. I had my first flight on an AAU trip, you know, to Dallas. I was scared. (laughs) He'll tell the story that I grabbed him so tight when we first took off. Um, and so now I'm going to all these places. I'm meeting a bunch of people. Um, but I'm also practicing all the time, you know, and, and I'm not really thinking about, you know, I'm practicing to get better. It's just I'm on this team now. So I just keep on playing, I keep on playing. And it wasn't until I wanna say the summer of the seventh the summer after seventh grade when one of my friends was like, Hey, you ever tried dunking? And I was like, no, but I'm freaking six seven, so That's it's like, awesome. so I did, and I remember that uh, I finally got it down. And then eighth grade, I, uh, well, then later on that summer, I finally got a dunk in the game. And I don't know what that dunk did, but that dunk was like, was like, wait, this whole crowd just went crazy, off of this one dunk. I can do that all the time. So the next thing I know, that's all I wanted to do. I'm taking the spirit out of the opponent every time I dunk the ball. The crowd's going crazy. I'm getting energized. The team's getting energized. And then it just went from there. Um, And then that's, Really, when I was like, hold on, I can be really good at this. You know, I I can start honing my skills. And then a lot of stuff started coming in in high school, all these awards, still traveling, going to Vegas for the first time, um, college recruitment, um, All-American awards uh, that I'm not even thinking about. I'm just playing basketball and having a good time competing and enjoying the time with my friends and my family.
1: It's interesting to hear your experience because I think internally everything is very – it's a gradual and linear progression upward. And see if I can explain this, how I'm processing everything. But it like underneath the surface, you were just doing it because you loved basketball and it was something to do. And maybe it was a passion, but it wasn't like your life purpose or no, love, it, right? it
2: definitely wasn't. Not right. at so that time. You just
1: – Let's just say you you liked it like it's okay to you know i I feel like there's a lot of athletes that I have found who obviously love the sport, mm-hmm. but then there's a lot of them get that get reach the elite levels mm-hmm. and it's hard to say like I just like my sport yeah. you know because we live in a society where it's uh I don't know it's it's just very intense and there's a lot of expectations too mm-hmm. and fans and put all these expectations on your shoulders and like if somebody came out and like if, if, if you came out and were like, you know what? Like I like basketball. I don't love it. You would have gotten so much criticism, hate. So it's, so that's just kind of like bubbling beneath the surface. But then around you, I feel as though your, your career, the events around you were so quick up and then so quick down.
2: I was just going to say that. I I mean, I, I look at it, um, as, as that, like my life story, it was built up and from a young age, everything was good. Everything was going so well. Um, and I want to say my first big blow was in college. Um, it was, uh, losing my best friend, um,
0: Hmm.
2: to a car accident. Um, his name was Travis Smith. Um. Uh, he got in the car. He went to but uh, not Butler uh, Ball State. Mm. Um, he was a golfer. Really? Um, oh yeah, we was the first Robin Big. You know, he's a five no eleven white kid can shoot the ball, play golf, and I'm this seven foot six eleven. Big, tall, black man. We were best friends.
1: I love me some Robin Big.
2: I know that was my favorite show. It was just me and him.
1: That's really, that's <laughs> really cool, and that's really yeah. cute. I think that says a lot about. It says a lot about you and your openness to things and people too.
2: I mean, everybody's a, a good person deep down, you know. I, I I, wonder, I look at life like you know, everybody is a person. You give everybody their respect. Until they give you a reason not to, you know? um, that's just how I would want to be treated. Um, if you first meet me, I want you to treat me res- with respect, as I'm gonna do the same to you. You know, if it doesn't work out, then we can go our separate ways, but does you that should come bring from that.
1: because not a lot of people are are like that, and you do come off so, which is why I wanted maybe. Uh, selfishly to sit down with you because you just genuinely are a very nice and warm person. Um, I wish that kindness would be rewarded more in today's society, but Mm -hmm. because I'm the same way, but I've learned that sometimes people can take advantage of that. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a part of your story as well, because you are so kind. And if you, because if you automatically trust or respect someone initially like that's i think that's awesome but that could also be the gateway towards a lot Um, of
2: hurt i mean it kind of i mean i don't look at it that way you know i just kind of look at it like This is just me. Like, I'm going to respect everybody. Everybody's a person. Everybody deserves some type of respect in this life. I mean, we're all here. We want to be happy. We want to enjoy time with our families. And we just want to live a good life. So that all stems from, are you going to respect? Are you going to put that same type of energy, that same type of kindness out in the world? And So that's what I want to do. And like you said, you know, it should be rewarded a little bit more. But, you know, if it's not... and you know the loud anger or just aggressive—they kind of get up a little bit more in life, but I, that's not what I want to see. I want to see positivity. I want to see kindness. So that's the person that I'm going to be.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I do think kindness wins in the end, though. Um, so going back to your high school <clears throat> career. So meanwhile, you you fall into basketball. And get pretty good today. at it, I And guess. you get really good at it, not pretty Mike
2: good. Mike Conley definitely helped. I was <laughs> just throwing that out there. When I look back at life, it was like, Greg, you were pretty good at high school. I, was like, I had a pretty damn good point guard as well. He made That's me look great. really good. So. So, he, so he helped
1: you look really good. <laughs> yes, he did. But you did really start to blow up. At, mm-hmm. at the high school level, and then you started. You talk about all these awards. You were the Gatorade Player of the Year. Was it, twice? Twice, two years mm-hmm. in a row. You were the Indiana Mister Basketball. Uh, you took your high school to three straight championships, mm-hmm. right? And and I, you know, as I was reading up on your story, and I I think about the move from New York to Indiana, mm-hmm. and I feel I couldn't help but think how that. Blew up basketball as a part of your life because I think you would have been big no matter what, Mm -hmm. physically and metaphorically speaking. But the fact that you went to Indiana, where I mean the basketball is yes, like everything. I mean that Indiana Mr. Basketball is an award that's been around for like since I think 1939. So it, it just shows. Do you think that moving to Indiana played a role in your bigness?
2: Uh, history? I think so um, because basketball is a part of my history and a part of me um, and Indiana just magnified that and um, that move I think kind of put my mind on that and down that path I think in, in New York um, I probably would have got there eventually um, but I think the people who I was around the the teaching the coaching i got in basketball from indiana compared to what i probably would have got um in new york was just different and it put me on this path that where it just blew up i mean being you know paired with mike conley jr um having his dad as our coach seeing the Olympic just preparation and how he handled you know losses, uh, wins. You know, I say one of the best advice, I, one of the best advice I've got at a childhood was from Mike Conley Senior. It was don't get too high up on the mm-hmm. wins and don't get too low on the losses. You know, just try to stay even keel with all of it. And uh, I think that's a great way to handle a lot of successes and a lot of losses in your life because, you know, you won't let that affect you. Um, And I wouldn't have got a lot of that stuff if I wasn't in Indiana. And basketball-wise, I mean, like I said, it really did just blow up. Um, But, I mean, it took me a while to get there. But I think that coaching and the people that I was around and, and that path that I was on in Indiana made it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been a lot different. I mean, I could have still got to that point in New York, but it didn't happen that way. So
1: Yeah. It did seem like – I know it was a gradual process, but I it seems like it happened so quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so you're, you're a senior. Actually, no, you declared to Ohio State that you're a junior. At the end, you were the junior a junior. Year. Your junior year. Mm -hmm. So, what was the transition from high school to to college like for you?
2: Um, It was it was pretty pretty cool. I mean, it it wasn't bad. uh, Knowing that was such a
1: like like, you have such a big big smile, but then there's 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 like like more more behind behind that answer.
2: Well, well first (laughs) Coach Mata, just his energy and this university, like. The football game we went to, I want to say it was Ohio State, Texas. Oh. So, yeah, it was, like, one of the greatest football games ever. Um, and then Coach Mata, Daquan Cook, already being committed to come here. Um, Matthew Terwilliger, who I throw out because, you know, he was the guy who I was hanging with on my visit that, like, I was like, okay, he's pretty cool. Like, <laughs> like, he basically sold me to come here. Really? Yeah. Um, Yeah, and we loved everything about Columbus, and it was a a two-and-a-half-hour drive. I used to say, you know, my mom can get here if she needed to, but it's just far enough that she's just not going to drive here every day.
0: She's close, but not too close.
2: Yes. So that worked. We were in the Midwest. We were at a football school, so, you know, if we didn't perform up to par basketball-wise, Football's always going to be number one anyways, so we were okay. <laughs> I love
1: it how you go there and you get all this attention, but you had that in the back of your mind. You're like, well, well it's, it's not, not too much, much attention. Yeah, it's a lot of attention, but a, not too much not attention. It's not too
2: crazy. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, just that transition. It, Coach Mata, you know, Coach Richardson, Coach Majors, um, all those assistant coaches, um, they they were so good and, and I think that team was was meant for each other because, you know, we we felt comfortable here. We enjoyed it. I enjoyed walking to class in the rain, snow, like this university. Wow, I, oh my gosh. I really loved being a college student staying on campus that year. I mean it could help that I was big man on campus, I guess to say. Um You were well loved. Just
1: a little. Bit <laughs> <I love that. laughs> well, it's uh, you know, and you only spent, even though you live here now and you came back, but you only spent one year here at Ohio State, and and looking at the events, at least on paper, one might think because transitioning to college for a lot of student athletes is, can be really tough. It was tough mm-hmm. on me. It's a huge responsibility between like classes and class load and the academic rigor and then also being a full-time, having a full-time job and being a student athlete. But, and you had surgery right before you came, wrist Mm -hmm. surgery, right? Mm -hmm. But when I, I get the sense that if out of anything that I'm going to talk to you about, like Ohio state, your face just lights up. You get so happy. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though that may, is that, A period where you had a lot of good memories.
2: I definitely have a lot of good memories here. Um, It was one of those things when I think about it, um, it, it's a tough transition period for everybody. But when I was here, I felt comfortable. Mm. Um, And I think that's why I still live here. Um, Just the comfort level that Columbus gave me, like it always felt like home from the first time we stepped foot in our dorms, you know. I'm thinking we're going to be in the little dorms, like sharing, you know, a room and bathroom with everybody on the floor. Um, but then, you know, we were able to get in the graduate dorms and you know, we each had our own bedroom. And me and Mike shared a bathroom. Daquan and Dave shared a bathroom. We all shared a living room and the kitchen, you know. So to have that living situation and, and everything... I and I told you I like a list. So knowing that I have to be here and I have this mm-hmm. class and I have this tutor and we have practice scheduled for this time and then I I got tutor after this. Like I have my whole day planned out. So it wasn't nothing. I had to think about or improvise. It was just like you know where you got to go, be there. You yeah. know. So, so you I was like, always. You really home. love
1: that structure. I do. And you thrive in that. Yeah. So when you – so you spend a year here at Ohio State, and even though you're injured, you guys come back, you have a great season, mm-hmm. right? You get to the NCAA championship game.
2: it's yes, that wasn't uh, the best feeling afterwards.
1: But you look yeah. back and you have great memories. And then compared to your experience at the NBA, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, I've learned more about that transition and talking to other NBA players that – and it's unique and different than football because football, there's so many positions. You have 53 guys on a roster. Basketball is different where it's a smaller team, five positions, so there's less spots. And it's tough because you go from college, a very home, uh, comfortable environment. Everyone's focused on winning and being a team and from what i've heard going to the professional level and maybe at the mba level now you got people like now it's about money people fighting for their lives people fighting for their livelihood and their families mm-hmm. and then you also might have the dynamic of veterans who may or may not be in a mentoring role yeah. you know because so i've heard about that political aspect but what how did your mba just transition compared to your college one
2: well i go to um the draft so spent about three four days in new york my whole entire family's out there in new york city uh flew them all out put them up in hotels and i basically had no time with my family hmm. um i was doing media things uh, media training i was doing events which come kind of helping kids camps all this stuff around the nba um and around to build the brand that I want that I never even had time to really just spend the afternoon with, you know, my cousins who I had, you know, I talk about my best cousin, mm-hmm. my favorite cousin, who's now in the air force who, you know, was in New York, but, you know, I only got to see him and passing and talk for a little bit with my uncles and all my aunties. Um, and then draft night comes and, you know, I was trying to do so much for everybody else that a story that um, I haven't told most people was when you're sitting at that table, you know, they come and they're like, you know, for time, you can hug the person to your left, hug the person to your right, which is usually your mom and your dad. You know, I had my grandmother and my brother over there and other people at the table. And I always regret that I didn't just go around that table and even, you know, hug everybody at that table because it was a great moment. You've got to enjoy that. But you think about it, that's the start of me, you know, trying to do all this stuff for everybody else, you know. And then I go up um, and I shake David Stern's hand, and I'm the first one to go back do interviews. I'm the last one to leave mm. that uh, arena, you wow. know. And then as soon as I get back, I'm thinking, finally, I get to go out, party, hang out. I'm in New York City for the first time. Um, all my family's here. We're going to enjoy this moment. And they're like, you got an hour to pack. You're on a private plane to Portland. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I am getting all these, I got all these suits. I got all these clothes here and all this stuff that I've gotten in New York. And I just have to leave. Most couldn't of it. They didn't even give
1: you, like... A, a morning with your family oh, or no, a day? Oh, no, because
2: when I landed in Portland that morning, you think, I'm not even dressed. I'm in jeans, a T-shirt, and, like, one of those little stringly lined backpacks. Yeah. And they have a freaking parade in downtown Portland. Oh. So I'm coming to, like, no time to do anything, no time with my family, straight to Portland, barely getting any sleep, to I'm in a parade of it seems like the whole city. And I mean, I'm not gonna say I was the savior, but you know that's kind of the feeling you get. You know, I'm, oh, you, were I'm freaking, look, you
1: were looked to yeah. be one. And I'm yeah. 19
2: years old, and yeah. I don't know how to handle this. Like, you know, going to Ohio State was different. Being in high school, winning three state championships, that was cool and all. But like, this is like this is big time. Now the money's involved. You know, now this is what people are talking about on ESPN all day. You know, that pressure is there. And I'm looking at it like, I, I'm 19, I don't know how to handle any of this stuff, you know? I'm just coming from, you know, where I had my whole entire day planned for me, Yeah. you know? So now it's like, you got this type of money, you got this type of expectations, this little bit of freedom, this massive celebrity... You know, all those added up. You know, what's, what's and just really going to happen? Because, sure.
1: yeah, like, college is, is definitely different because there's – while you might be the guy on campus, there is a shared goal. And and everybody walks around and looks at the basketball team as kings on campus or the football mm-hmm. team. But when you are the number one overall pick, I mean, it's just – just,
2: you. At that professional level, yes. So, you know, so like, no matter what happens here, you know, when I think about when we won the national championship of football, you know, like you could look at it and be like, no, Cardell, mm. Zeke, you know, these guys who played a, a, a big part of it. But, no, Ohio State won the, national, the first national championship of the playoffs, you know. And college is always going to come back to that school, you know, in the league, you think about when LeBron and then won for Cleveland. Yeah, you know, Kyrie won the you know NBA championship. He hit the big shot. Mm-hmm. LeBron bought the championship back to Cleveland. You know, mm-hmm. that's the storyline you're hearing. You're not hearing. You know, it's more about
1: the individual players. It, it
2: feels a lot more about the individual yes, than it, it does in college.
1: Yeah, I think it is, I, especially today. Um, and there's like a, there's a business model and commercialization
2: mm-hmm.
1: behind that. My, my husband is, is in media and advertising and brand development. And there's a lot of the stuff that he does, uh, sheds yes. light and, and informs me about what is going on behind the business of sport. Mm-hmm. And because of the sneaker culture, because of NBA became, just kind of being trendy these days. Mm-hmm. So fans will look to just a an athlete rather uh-huh. than the whole team. And I think that, that definitely plays into it. And so so you have all this attention. And I think the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that becoming a professional athlete, especially at the, the level that you were and, and being so famous and put on a pedestal – is that there's a huge responsibility and obligation that comes with being a professional athlete. So rather than being able to spend time with your family, mm-hmm. now you've got interviews, you've got meetings, you, you've got all this other stuff.
2: You're traveling a lot.
1: Right. Um,
2: I mean, there's it's just a lot that comes with that amount of money you're getting paid, you know, that a lot of, amount of pressure. You know, you, you have some expectations that you got to take care of. And, I mean, it's not bad because you definitely get compensated pretty well for yeah. it. Um, and, you know, it's just a kind of the give and take, you know, w- with that amount of money that you can take care of your whole entire family and your family's family for years to come. You know, you're going to have to, you know, miss a couple of birthdays. You're going to be on the road for some holidays. You know, you you know, a lot of your time is going to be taken away um, away from the family or, or something that might be a little bit more important to you um, for you know, this basketball and for that compensation that you Mm -hmm. get.
1: And now as you go to the NBA, now just your your physical health becomes a part of the equation and everything. And before you even, you know, so you you go to Ohio State and you have surgery right before it. And now you go to the NBA and you have surgery before your rookie Mm -hmm. season. At what point is, where is your physical health at this point?
2: So it was about two months into it, um, into the summer after I got drafted, I want to say, if that, before um, I was basically having a microfracture surgery. Um, I went in there um, thinking that it was, you know, just something minor and then that they were going to go in and and fix whatever, not thinking that it was going to be a major. You know, I woke up to like, yeah, you're out for a year. And I'm like, wait. I, th- I thought if it was like this, this, and this, we're going to take care of it, not thinking that I didn't even know the possibility of me being out a whole year with something even on the table.
1: Wow. Wait. Did they, did they prep you before? <laughs> so did they, they think did. it was something else?
2: So they did. Um, but my understanding at that time was, you know, it's going to be something like not a year, you know. It might
1: be several months. It, it
2: might be a couple of months, you know, just... You'll play, but a whole year sitting out, like that's not something that was technically in my head of uh, from that surgery. You know, it was, you know, go get cleaned up. We're going to go get this fixed. And, you know, either you can be coming back in a week or two or it might take a few months. But, you know, the micro that I had, it just made more sense to be out for the whole entire year. But, you know, wow. waking up to that news, it's kind of like, wait, hold on, like all this expectation, you know, um, that I put on myself and then that's out there, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to deal with at that moment.
0: I really hope you enjoyed this first episode with Greg Oden. Stay tuned for part two next week. We'll talk about his seven surgeries, how he handled being labeled a bust and also how his physical and emotional pain eventually morphed into substance abuse. If you have any thoughts or comments, feel free to hit me up at prim underscore on Twitter and Instagram. The next chapter with Prim Seripipat is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.